Welcome back to the early read college basketball crunch time here for the regular season. We got about two weeks left for the high majors, about a week left for the mid majors. And it's, it's getting that time, you know, March Madness, a lot of people coming into the space. They want to know what's going on with these teams. They want to get something, an idea. And I kind of want to spray the board, talk about as many teams as possible. So when you sit down basically any day for the next month, you see these teams, maybe, uh, you know, the early read gave you a, a little bit of insight into some of these teams. So to do that, I bring on one of the best college basketball minds in the space. It's Isaac Trotter at Isaac Trotter on at, at Isaac underscore Trotter on Twitter. He's a national college basketball writer for 24 seven sports. Isaac, how's it going, man? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So I wanted to start before we do my guy, not my guy. I wanted to talk about an article that you wrote. I believe it's now like a week and a half ago, maybe. Uh, one of your daily columns about the transfer portal and how some of these teams have flamed out that went so transfer heavy. And the subject of the article was St. John's. This was in the wake of uh, their blown double digit lead to see in hall and their bubble hopes are in peril. We'll call it Arkansas. It's been a year for hell for uh, the must bus. So Isaac, I want to ask you in your findings, in your opinion, is there a developing like science to the transfer portal and how to really build your team? Because in both college football and college basketball, it feels like you do need to use the transfer portal like to a certain amount. But is there any finding yet or is it still too early before maybe we know what the exact amount actually is? Yeah, I think it's it depends. I think this cycle, uh, when I talked to a lot of coaches, they really liked this cycle, the transfer cycle of 2023. So I think a lot of coaches were really fired up to add a bunch of transfers. But I do think the trend of having more transfers, like more than seven transfers. So in basketball, you have 13 scholarship spots, maybe 12 is what most teams will take. When you have more than half your rosters as new guys, the new transfers coming in, I think that's the science right now where it's like, man, like that's tough to win. It's really tough to fully like, get that group together. And we've seen little pockets of it, but I think it's more outliers. Like I remember like those Iowa state teams that TJ Otzelberger turned around right away or Kansas state, like where would they be without that turnaround that they had? And a lot of that was due to the portal as well. So it's not at one end all be all from one thing, but I do think that this year, what we're starting to see is it's just, it's hard to win in college basketball when you can, when other teams are retaining stars and they got four guys coming back in the same role. And then like you also, they can just go and get like one or two transfers to mix in with a couple freshmen. Like that feels like the right mix compared to like, Hey, St. John's, like we're getting with 11 transfers yeah. coming in. Hey, we know you guys were all alphas last year, but Hey, you know what, Jordan Dingle, you're not going to get 20 shots tonight. You're going to get 11. Hey, jo Joel Soriano, you got to adjust. Hey, Glenn Taylor, you got to adjust a little bit. You're not the alpha on a really bad team in Oregon State anymore. I think that's like the part of it that's hard. Is it the case moving forward full, full time? No, but I do think the teams that do win with a lot of transfers, man, their coaches must be really locked in because that is not easy to do. Yeah, it, it's a tough end. Again, it, it feels like it's becoming like NBA free agency or any free agency where you're putting these teams together and they could look so different year to year. Whereas, you know, just it, it's a small sample. I'm kind of going off the top of my head, but like Tennessee this year, a team that I've spoken about on the podcast, I like a lot. I think everybody likes them a lot, but they bring back a bunch of key guys and they drop in Dalton Connect who may like be like that missing piece or maybe a team needs a lead ball handler and they go hit the portal for that, like to upgrade there, but they retain with their NIL deals and everything like three, four of the guys in the key rotation, maybe a freshman, he levels up as a sophomore. It feels like that's where you're starting to see him like coaches with maybe a little bit more foresight 
to see like, okay, well, we were good at this last year. We need to work on this this year. Let's go out and fix that in the portal. Like, it, I guess what I'm trying to say is the development of, you don't need to develop a four-year roster anymore in a depth chart. You can fill the gaps through the portal, but you can't paint the whole canvas through the portal. And I, I don't think every team that got seven transfers this year wanted to do that. Like, yeah. I, I, I like there's plenty of first-year coaches who they do not want to do that. It's kind of just kind of have to, right? Penn State. Yeah. You get the job, everybody leaves. You maybe you get Kanye Clary back now before he left the team, and like it's you kind of got to yeah. You just yeah. got to go in the portal and get guys because you have to show some semblance of progress. So like it's not. I don't think I'm going to expect Mike Rhodes to go into the portal in 2024 and get seven transfers and try to do this thing again. But maybe it's a sign for Eric Musselman, who has been very confident going in the portal and reloading every year. That like I just can't necessarily live this way. Living on the margins is tough and. Like you said, like I, I think that there is a real pattern of, like you said, Tennessee, like Connecticut is the same way. UConn got a bunch of their returners back. They have a really nice recruiting class. But and you pop in that guy like Cam Spencer into that yeah. mix, and it really just coalesces together well. Houston, they got a lot of those returners back. Jamal Shedd comes back. They get their big men back. Jawan Roberts is awesome. JoJo Tugler, a freshman, comes in and is starting to play. But, hey, you – put that one piece of LJ Cryer and it starts to really mesh together. So I think that's the recipe that a lot of coaches want to do. Some are in better situations than others yeah. to actually execute it. hundred percent. And yeah, if you want to read that in full, go check it out on Isaac's Twitter uh, from 24 seven sports. I thought that was a great uh, insight into kind of the greater landscape of the transfer portal in college basketball. So let's do a little, my guy, not my guy. I haven't done this in a few weeks. So Isaac for first time on the pod, my guy, not my guy. One person, it could be a team, a ref, a player, a guy who hooked you up this past week. You know, thinks deserves a little bit of shine. You know, you, he's your guy of the week, not my guy. You know, let him know, like, you know, you screwed me over. You know, he's not your guy. Pretty simple. So I'll let you go first. Who's your guy of the week? We'll start positive. Jalen Tyson out of Cal. I love okay. this dude. He's one of my favorite players oh. on college basketball. Just a complete, utter stud. If you, if you like ba uh, gambling on basketball, you know, his overs all year long have been big time in the prop market and I think he's a first round pick and it's cool to start seeing him develop and start to get that buzz. He was 21st in uh, San Bassini at the <laughs> athletics early look at 2024 NBA draft. And I, I think that's, that's right on the money. And he's a guy that I think uh, early in the year, I was excited about him and the portal of like what he could potentially be to come. And he's been so much better than I thought. And it's, it's just so fun watching him every single, he's really turned into one of my favorite players in the sport. He's got this little 17 foot, one foot runner. That's just sick. And he's six foot seven. It's just, he is a delight to watch play basketball every night. I love him. Yeah. I wish uh, Cal the, the wins came together a little bit more uh, as someone who took Cal in their season long pool. I was hoping that uh, the golden bears maybe a little bit more friskier than at, what are they like nine and 17, but Matt, uh, Mark Madsen, he's building something there. So I like Cal as well. I like Jalen Tyson as well. I think he's definitely a next level guy. Mine going a little bit further back. Uh, great Osborne from Utah state. One of the, it feels like the Mountain West just produces like really versatile big men at all. Like year over year, these guys just keep coming through Osborne. Against San Diego State specifically, really high-level Mountain West game. Jane Ledee, great Osborne. It was like a King Kong versus Godzilla, felt like. Osborne, just sublime. 17-7-7, seven, seven. Uh, great facilitating, laying the game. San Diego State started setting doubles at him. He was kicking right out, boom, boom, boom. Uh, Utah State, who I don't know if they will go the furthest in the tournament. I don't really know how to figure out the Mountain West. I feel like all these teams have such – really distinct flaws 
But Utah State, with Osborne in the middle, he was in the tournament last year with Danny Sprinkle at Montana State, so a little bit of blood there. Utah State, I know they're a transfer-heavy team, though. Isaac, any thoughts on the Ags and great Osborne's in general? No, that's a great that's a great pull. Great Osborne's a stud. I think a lot of people really like Danny Sprinkle as a head yeah. coach. I would be surprised if Utah State could hold on to him because a lot of high majors, I think, are circling the water. Like, I, I look at Washington. If Washington opens up, he goes there, right? Like, yeah. I, I think that would make a ton of sense for them. But, no, this team is really good. And like we talked about earlier, uh, if you're able to reload with transfers and find a way to win at a high level, that means that you're doing some really good things. And Sprinkle's certainly done that. You know, one underrated guy, I think, for that group is Ian Martinez. Him Getting him out of Maryland – like that didn't recreate really many ripples nationally, mm -hmm. but that's a big time addition for them now that Maryland could really use right oh, now. Yeah. I think Maryland would be in a very different state if Ian Martinez had been on there. So he's another great piece for them. I just like a lot of dudes on their team. Like they just have a lot of balance and Osabor is the one that really brings it all together, meshes it all together. I think he can go toe to toe with literally any big man in the college basketball, maybe outside of Zach Eady. He doesn't have, necessarily have that size. Maybe he's not that Donovan Klingon or Hunter Dickinson level. Yeah. That, we're talking that second tier of big men. He's he's right up there as, as good as it gets. Yeah. I think Utah State, because new coach, obviously, it's not your typical Utah State team where they're bombing from the perimeter. They're a team that's going to go inside. So I, I don't where I don't even know where they're going to be on the bracket, but could be an interesting case if you get maybe a overrated high major that's a little soft on the interior, doesn't pressure the rock. Or what, is if, that? what if they're playing Wisconsin? What if they get in that Wisconsin four or five draw there? Like that would be a really interesting match for Wisconsin. You, you could see the helmet. I'm a Wisconsin grad. It's a Wisconsin needs a, a very uh, distinct group of opponents to go on a run. They, they don't match up super well with uh, especially teams that could kind of pound you inside that could run you off the three point line. Uh, not, it's not looking great for uh, the badge, but okay. Not my guy of the week. Who's someone that, you know, you got to kind of let know they, they, they let you down. Lance Jones, man. I cannot bet a Lance Jones under without it hitting ever. Like I'm always <laughs> on Lance Jones unders and it just never happens. And it's always in the most crushing ways. So he's not my guy this week, but I have a lot of respect for him because he's an absolute bucket. Uh, he was one of those dudes that I did the story in the summer where I talked to a bunch of coaches that played against these guys. And um, one of the coaches that I talked to was like, Lance Jones, like, come on, man. Like, you're going to go to Purdue. You think you're going to play all these things? Like, you really think you're going to be a good player here? And he's been awesome for them. And so it's really cool to see that. I keep doubting it. I keep under 14 and a half, under 15 and a half. It just never happened. So uh, Lance you're Jones. Your motivation. Your That's right. motivation. That's right. I don't think I've hit a Lance Jones bet all year long. And I'm like dialed on my props. Like that's what I love to do in college basketball season um, outside of like just writing and stuff, obviously. But yeah, man, like I can't get Lance Jones right. And he's, he's just too good. He's just too good. <laughs> so my guy, uh, this is like distinct, like very uh, anecdotal here. Uh, Eve's Missy for Baylor meltdown of the season, potentially, uh, you know, I'm sitting there Baylor plus two and a half. Slow start, we'll call it. They spot Houston 17 points, never a good sign. But uh, they, I, it wasn't one that I like wanted to turn off because I had a feeling like some hot shooting. I think Baylor could settle in at home. And they, they end up rallying back. Uh, Missy down two. Again, I'm sitting two and a half. Like maybe miss the bunny and like have the clock run out. I'm not complaining. Uh, gets fouled and won his first bucket, I believe, of the game. Uh, he's playing pretty terrible all 40 minutes. Of course, he misses the free throws, like a 50% free throw shooter. And then overtime... 
layup point blank, just completely fumbles the ball point blank layup. And then on like another possession, Baylor going in for a layup. I can't remember who it was. He dunks it home, clear offensive interference. Baylor ends up losing by like six or eight or something. They don't cover. So Eves Missy, you are not my guy. That one hurt. Even though I do think you've actually made some strides as a player and as a pro prospect, you're not my guy. Listen, we we don't judge anyone in terms of talent. It's strictly if you're my guy or not my guy. Absolutely not. And if he got drafted by my favorite team in the in the NBA, I'd probably be fired up because Eves Missy's a stud. He's a beast. <laughs> Yeah, and so that was a tough one on Saturday. Uh, Baylor-Houston uh, going down uh, in flames in overtime. But anyway, let's talk about what happened on Saturday, though, because I thought that there were a lot of interesting results and a lot of good talking points, Isaac. Um, I want to start with that Houston-Baylor game. To me, and I guess I'll let you tell me if I'm overthinking it or if I might be onto something. So I am of the belief that Houston – Obviously very good. They're number one in Ken Bomb. I'm not breaking any news. I don't know if I could buy into them as winning the national championship. Maybe it's like a slightly a hot take, but, you know, I've got to put my uh, flag in the sand somewhere. I just don't know if I trust the shot making. This is a team that's outside the top 200 in effective field goal percentage. I feel like the offense is over-reliant on second chances, and they play too slow that if the wrong team comes in and plays them on the wrong night, they could get – just outshot like Miami did to them last year in the NCAA tournament. So I'm working on this hot take that I think Iowa state is actually the team that people think Houston is. I think Iowa state is more offensive firepower, another elite defense, maybe not as a physical on the offensive glass, but I think Iowa state maybe has a higher ceiling than Houston does. Am I overthinking this or am I maybe onto something? I'm really right there with you on Houston. The one thing I keep going back with Houston all year is their shot diet. So they are the lowest high major team in shots at the rim, percentage of shots at the rim. I think just like 25%. It's the, I mean, it's the lowest in all of college basketball. And so like in the first half against Baylor, me, I, me going into this game, I know that stat. I'm thinking about it and I'm watching it and they got nine shots at the rim in the first half and they're winning 40 to 25. And I'm like, this is see, I'm right. Like when you get to the rim, like this is really good. Like this is what yeah. you need to do. And then the second half, they completely go away from it. They had three shots in the rim at the second half and overtime combined. So like that's my hesitancy to fully buy in with them because when they get downhill and when they get to the rim and Emmanuel Sharp is there and you get that good Jawan Roberts at minutes where he can really put pressure on the rim, that's when I think they're at their best offensively. But we just don't see it long enough. It doesn't feel like they're consistent. So I've called Iowa State houston light all year but i think i'm getting there closer with you where they might be a little bit closer than i originally thought and part of that is you know Keyshawn gilbert's been a lot better than i thought he was going to be this year and then milan momsilovich i really liked him coming out of the class the class of 2023 he's been great as a big time shot maker just mixing it up for them as a six foot ten guy who can really just do some different things and just the he doesn't necessarily make a ton of shots all the time but the gravity that he creates for the, his group is really huge too so I think I still like Houston a little bit more than Iowa State long term because Taman Lipsy's injury scares me just a touch off of of off of Iowa State, but I think they have a lot of those same concerns. Like they have a lot of the same strengths, and they also have a lot of the same weaknesses. And that shot diet continues to scare me with Houston, and is part of the reasons why. Like if I'm doing my tiers now for college basketballs, like you know title contenders, I just that's the one thing that just holds me back a little bit with Houston. I agree. And again, it's not like I'm saying like Houston's bad. Like they're obviously, they're amazing, but it's like when you're trying to win six games come March to me, like I do my Ken Palm 2020, like the, like basically you need to be super balanced. 
I know Houston's inside that 20 on offense, but like, I think it's overinflated. Like it's all based around their ability to like beat the crap out of teams where like, I just don't know if that's going to work for six games. That's, you know, and they also, they their defense is so compact and they, they could turn you over. They also allow a ton of threes. They could really fall into a trap where some team that's just shooting lights out could run you off the floor, in my opinion. And we saw it with Kansas, right? Like that Kansas obviously executed an awesome game plan, but if your bigs can pass and you have just enough shooting, you get open looks against Houston. Now they're banking on them just, you know, they're like open threes against Houston and open threes against like, I don't know, Kentucky are way yeah. different because I feel like the open threes against Houston, like you see the shooter, he's like, he catches it and he's like, oh my God, I got like 0.2 seconds. To yeah, get I got to get this up. <laughs> I got to jump this up. Open, right? Like none, no one's comfortable. So yeah, it might be open, but it's not a comfortable open three. So I, that's the one difference, but you're right. Like Houston is not unbeatable. And if, if we learned anything with college basketball this year, like, especially with the portal, I really think that the talent level throughout the sport is just deeper there's a lot a lot better teams i don't think the gap between those elite teams at the top of the you know at the top of ken palm and the mm. other ones maybe at like 30 is honestly that wide maybe the numbers i could look back at the numbers and maybe that's the gap isn't quite that wide from a numbers perspective but just from the eye test i don't think that there's some monster monster gap on a neutral floor between the first best team in college basketball and like the 30th i completely agree like when i've been doing like some radio hits and everything they're like you know like what do you think like you know like insert like UConn Purdue or whoever like at, like to frame the question and I'm like you know last year like if you look on like paper and like you show it to someone 10 years ago and it was FAU San Diego State Miami and UConn like they would be like what even is this like I think it won't be a blue blood centric final four probably if I had to guess I just think like there's too much variance right now and there's too many the top isn't as top heavy and the middle is much higher like the, like you said like that one to 30 range it's as probably narrow as I can remember. So I think you can see like a kind of wacky, untraditional final four when it's all said and done. Well, and I think the bracket's going to be everything this year. Your draw is going to like, yeah. your draw is going to really, um, you know, just impact the in, impact how far you can go. I just think a lot about that, that Kansas draw that they got a couple years ago where you just looked at it and it's like, man, that's really soft. And then all mm. of a sudden Kansas winning national championship because they just cruised through it and got the right breaks. So I wonder what those, what those brackets look like. I'd love to fast forward three weeks from now. I have a bracket in my hand and start to actually see it. hundred percent. One other game. And we kind of just hinted on it, but Kentucky, Alabama, Kentucky scores 118. I think it was 117 against Alabama. Uh, so I guess maybe we'll just stick with like my working theories and Isaac, you'll tell me if I'm like overreacting or underreacting, but I think Alabama and Auburn, I would be stunned. I grew up Auburn in there, but I'd be stunned if either ends up in the final four. I think that they're, I like to call them home court merchants. I think that they just feast on a home crowd. They play with a lot of energy at home. They're not the same team on the road. And that game at Rupp arena I know people love to get really excited about Kentucky. It's like every week we get the, oh, Kentucky's really overrated and they're a disaster. And then like the next game is like, wow, like look at the ceiling on this team. Like this team is legit. Uh, to me, I don't think Kentucky's even close to a contender, but those, th especially Alabama and Auburn, home court merchants, I don't trust the defense one bit. When that team, they're not playing the tournament at Coleman Coliseum. They're not playing at the jungle. I don't see how these teams make a run come tournament time. I yeah. think they're too home home court dependent. I, I don't think that's crazy. You know, I think, and it's funny, it's just so opposite reasons, right? Like with with Auburn, it's they have no semblance of anything on the back end. Like I honestly think that Nate Oates has just quit about like thinking that this group is going to get it together defensively. 
And, you know, heading into that game against Kentucky, teams were only shooting like 30% from three against Alabama and their defense still wasn't great, but that was with really helpful shooting regression mm-hmm. from three where you're kind of getting a little bit lucky on that and that perspective. And then Kentucky goes absolutely nuclear from three. And so I think that's like the downside of this Alabama, which is I'm right, right there with you. Like, I just don't think that, you know, just to win six games in a row, even four games in a row, it is going to be tough. I would be surprised if Alabama gets there. Maybe again, they get the right draw. Maybe again, they don't miss a three for two weekends in a row, yeah. but it's just not sustainable for six straight. Then with Auburn, it's like a completely different angle just because the half court offense like just goes AWOL at times. It's like if they can't get offensive rebounds or Janai Broom can't um, instill his will, it, that's just changes it for me. And, you know, Aiden Holloway was a guy I really liked. Uh, I was really high on him at the beginning of the year. And he has those moments that he, he tries to suck me back in with the, you know, he's gets drop coverage, pulls up, hits five threes. It's like, man, like that's, there's something there, but he just hasn't been consistent enough. And I worry about their shot making. I don't know about you. Like, do you like how deep they are? Like I go back and forth on that. Cause I understand like their depth, they use to their advantage because they play so damn hard. And like, they're always like flying around, mm-hmm. but like, there, like, there are dudes in that rotation that are on the floor for Auburn that should not be on the floor, and I really want to see their best players on the floor for 30-ish minutes, and I think that that might hold them back from necessarily reaching that next tier. So I think it's good for a long haul of a season. Like, okay, they lose Jalen Williams for – I haven't seen uh, a time frame. I, I, it wasn't season-ending, that's all I know. I just don't know if he's back, like, uh, against Tennessee upcoming or, like, in two weeks for the SEC tournament. I think – it's a blessing and a curse because you have more guys that are more like ready to step in. But like when it comes like tournament time, like does Bruce Pearl really have his guys that he's leaning on or is he leaning on like riding the hot hand a little too much where like that could kind of get you into trouble come tournament time. Like to me, like you need your six or seven guys. You could just kind of lean on. I don't know if Auburn even knows who that is, especially now with Jalen Williams. I guess it works both ways though. They don't, they don't. And and they're fine with that. Like they're banking on like our second unit's going to be, you know, be like, you know, better outplay your first unit that's tired that's kind of like game plan there and we're just going to heat you up but the other thing with two that auburn too that i don't necessarily like is like they can't defend without fouling at times it feels like they just and again that's the game plan and at home it works because they're just banking on these refs at home in the jungle not calling a foul on them every single possession yeah and i don't know if that's necessarily going to play in march like there could be times where they're giving up 32 free throw attempts and it's just going to be really hard to beat that no matter how good you are on the other end so I, just a few numbers on Auburn in particular that I think stand out to me. Like when I'm analyzing this team, like, okay, can this team go out and win, you know, three straight weekends, run the table and win a national championship? Because on paper, this team is inside like that 2020 bucket. Like Auburn looks like, if you just look at the numbers, they look like a title contender. And then you dig a little bit deeper, you see that this team is outside the top 200 and away from home rating. And eye test tells me they're way worse than that uh, per shot quality. This team is in the half court at a bottom 25%. They are constantly running up and down the floor. They want to, they don't want to set their half court offense because they're outside the top 300 in terms of catch and shoot three, three point percent points per possession and off the dribble three points per possession. So when this game bogs down come tournament time, which they tend to do, they're not going to be able to hold up offensively. So I know it's a really good defense. They're physical, they're aggressive, but the offense, like, no, thanks. I'm, I'm out on Auburn. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing, too, with them is Denver Jones, I think, has done a really nice job of settling into being a defensive stopper. But that dude was a bucket last year, like a complete Mm -hmm. straight up killer. And I think I'm not sure he's has the energy to play defense at the level that Bruce Pearl needs him to play it. 
and then turn around and go get them buckets on the other end. It feels like he just doesn't have that energy in him. And I understand it. Like it's, that is not easy. I'm not saying he's doing anything wrong. It just kind of is what it is at this point. And I kind of expected him to be a little bit more of like that, a dude who could go get you one. And I don't know if Auburn necessarily has that anymore. And I thought they might have, and I don't know if they're quite there. Okay. A few more uh, things I like takeaways from the weekend. Wake Forest. You in or you out? In. I like that team. Yeah. I really like that team. Uh, big big stat that I, I noticed for that game against Duke, that was the second most minutes that their starting lineup had gotten to play together all year, 23 minutes together, just because Efton Reed stayed out of foul trouble. Mm. That's enormous because that, that that lineup has a great net rating when they're on the floor. So just keeping him out of foul trouble and keeping him on the floor is huge. I think Hunter Salas is a stud. I'm still a little bit worried about Cam Hildreth and Boopy Miller at times. But Efton Reed is a really good defender. Andrew Carr's awesome. They got a lot of shooting. And when Salas is playing like that, I think that's a really good team. Like if they if they were an 11 seed, they could have potentially had a six seed that they're favored against in the first round of the NCAA. Tournament. I agree. That's a that's a really dangerous squad. If they get they if they get out of their own way, I think they could do some real real damage in that first weekend. I'd like to see them win a few road games though. Like I'm I'm big on like the teams that feast on their home court. I think like that's a true thing. I'd like to see them like right before maybe like ACC tournament like go to the semis, you know, beat a quality team. This is like, I'm thinking about it now, just as we're talking about, and you're saying like, wait, like they might be like favored as like an 11 versus six. And I think they're definitely in the tournament now, barring like a real meltdown. But is there something to be said that the ACC tends to produce final four teams, not even in like the Duke UNC realm? Cause obviously those teams are like super talented, but like Miami last year, like we've seen ACC teams able to go on runs like, are you attributing that to anything? I'm putting you on the spot now, but like, do you think that maybe it's a style of play in the ACC? Well, I think the teams that advanced have dudes that, that, yeah. I mean, Miami was loaded last year. That's a mm-hmm. really great team. Duke and North Carolina were loaded. And that's where I think like the conversation around the ACC has been, I, they've just lost me a lot this year. Cause yes, the ACC stinks. And I understand that from the bottom of the league, like Notre Dame and Georgia tech and Louisville and Miami this year, and Boston College, like I understand it, those teams think, but that doesn't mean anything in the NCAA tournament when it's time for Miami to suit up and get on the floor for 40 yeah. minutes. And like it doesn't mean anything this year when Clemson gets out on the floor, Wake Forest gets out on the floor, Duke and North Carolina, those teams are talented, really talented. Mm. So I don't know if I necessarily, you know, have one specific reason why these teams are winning. I just think they're really good. And so I think heading into this, you know, in the NCAA tournament, I like four ACC teams. I'm not a Virginia guy, I just can't quite get there with yeah, that group, yeah. but Clemson, Wake. Those dudes, both of those teams have pros with a lot of shot making and some real like they got some like they they can they can play some defense, too. And then Duke and North Carolina have a ton of talent, too. So I just feel like the, the overall spectrum of the ACC stinks is fair because of the bottom. But that doesn't mean that the top of the league, like their top four, are just as good as any of the top four in any other conference, honestly. See, I, I think that's so interesting because I was doing uh, an episode a few weeks ago. And as a Big Ten grad, I obviously like I'm. I happened, especially over the last several years, like watched a ton of Big Ten basketball. And it's pretty notable. Big Ten tends to not do so well in the tournament. Like this, t- the, the conference doesn't translate. I do think the ACC and the brand of basketball they play, forget the bottom of the conference, the high end, that translates more to like a long run come tournament time, more versatility. The Big Ten, they send eight, nine teams every year, but it's because they beat the crap out of themselves and they they pump up their resumes because like they're all like quad one, quad two, when really those teams aren't any good. 
Well, and that's a this is a great comp because all right, let's take the top four of the ACC. That's Duke, it's Carolina, it's Clemson, and Wake. Is that yeah. top four better than the Big Ten's top four of Purdue, Illinois, Wisconsin, and then Michigan State or Northwestern? Like they're better. That the ACC is better. better. If now, I had to like take net like net tournament wins, I guess like Purdue could conceivably win it all. But like like net tournament wins of the, that tor- top four ACC versus that top four of the Big Ten. ACC for sure. Yeah, that's and so that's where I keep going back to it. Where it's just we have to separate these whole like conference versus conference arguments, and it because it really it does not matter in those first yeah. round games. It's forty minutes of basketball. It's lace them up. It's ten dudes on the floor, and those ACT teams can can really go. Now, can the Big Ten do it this year? You know, I I have kind of been like labeled, I guess, as a Purdue truther because I think they're a little bit better than what they were last year. I, I think Braden Smith's been awesome this year, one of the most improved players in college basketball, but I still have some questions about them. You know, Illinois is super talented. They have moments where they can really get up and go. You know, they have no question about them. They can score. I think you got to probably get 90 to beat Illinois. About their defense hasn't been the same. I was about to say they, they, they might just let them 90 anyway. <laughs> that's, right. that's right. But you got to do it, right? If you if you run into a team that can't make shots against Illinois, that's a problem. And so it, th- those two teams are still talented, but I'm not like buying into anybody else in the Big Ten as like a legit second weekend team. Like I, I don't see it with Michigan State. I don't see it with Wisconsin. You know, I, I maybe Northwestern, I guess, if Boo Booey just goes on a huge, huge run. But I just don't see it with a, a lot of those teams in the middle of the pack of the, of the Big Ten. And, you know, they're also going to get tough seeds. A lot of six, seven, eight, nine, ten seeds in that in that Big Ten middle. Yeah, I, I got two more for you. And then we'll talk a few uh, spots this week that uh, you're looking forward to. Michigan State, we kind of just alluded to it. Am I wrong to say that this team, like, shouldn't make the tournament? Like, if you just look at their resume, like, they are closer, I think, to the bubble than people want to mention. Like, if I feel like, if, you know, like those Twitter – I don't know if you're big into bracketology, but, like, I'm kind of not until, like, now. But, like, if you do, like, the blind resumes where it's, like, Team A and all their stuff and Team B and all their stuff, I feel like Michigan State would lose to a lot of teams – on like the team B from like the mid-major ranks. The only reason that Michigan State is a little bit safe-ish for now, I think they're still probably a nine seed right now, even after losing two games at home to Iowa and Ohio and Ohio State, yeah, at home, who aren't going to make the tournament. The only reason is because their non-conference was awesome. They played a really, but they, really but they lost all the they lost all the games. It doesn't <laughs> like, matter. I, I it hate doesn't that. matter. You gotta win something. <laughs> I understand it, but it doesn't matter when you have enough of those great games that they went up against uh their high I think they have one of the top ten schedules uh and non-conference schedule or not non-conference i mean i think it's just strength of schedule overall that like top 17 probably because again the big 10 like kind of like pumps yeah. up their own scores pretty much completely agree but i i genuinely like i i agree with you like they have to win games down the stretch and it's not gonna be easy right we know purdue's gonna be a war they get northwestern at home that's not easy because boo boo is the best player on the floor too in, in that matchup so if they lose those two games then you could really have a situation where michigan state is a lot closer to the bubble than people think and you know it's like they're kind of pulling a north carolina which is kind of crazy it's like the team who a lot of people thought could potentially win the national title in the preseason doesn't make the tournament it was north carolina a couple years ago and it could be michigan state this year yeah, and I mean, Michigan State, first of all, they play at Indiana the last game of the season. Like, I know Indiana sucks, but road game, road game Big Ten, you never know. Michigan State's been, like, flying really high on, like, three-point splits both ways, like, shooting and defense. I don't know. I don't see it. And I just – I already know that Michigan State's going to make the Sweet 16 because that's just what they do. And, like, this, like, fake Tom Izzo is, like, still really good role. Get ready for uh, John Rothstein, uh, January, February, Izzo. Izzo, April. Um, one more because Big 12 is the best conference in college basketball. We spoke about Houston, but nothing much. 
TCU is starting to put together a little bit of momentum here. I So I do – I like to separate into three buckets. The 2020s, teams that are top 20 on both sides of the ball, like a 40-40, which is like a contender light, I like to call it. And then a, like, lopsided where, like, a team is, like, top 20 on one side and outside the top 50 on the other. TCU is a contender light. Are you buying them? I know they're, they're a little unique in how they go about their offense, and they're shooting really well from three, probably much better than they should – but are you buying them? I know we're recording this Monday night, big game against Baylor tonight. I'm, I'm torn on them. They're awesome in transition, right? I think they're number two in transition points per game this year, maybe number one. And that was something that I think a lot of people were hesitant about buying in on them because they lost uh, their stud point guard last year, Mike Miles Jr. And they also lost Damian Baugh. And people were like, okay, they're not going to be able to score in transition. Well, they went out in the portal and they found the right guys. Shamir Nelson Jr. is a big time uh, transition scorer, but it's really Emmanuel Miller that's really elevated this group. So I think Jamie Dixon overall is a good coach. I still have some questions about like, what can you do in the half court when teams don't turn it over against you or when teams take good shots and don't let you get runouts and get into transition. Like how can you generate a lot of good offense in those question marks or in those, in those little situations. But for the most part, this group is They look like another big 12 team where they're just so deep, so physical. They're, they're really long. They're really athletic. They got old guards. That's kind of fits the prototype of a team that puts it together in March. Like I, I guess I've been hesitant to fully buy in on them but they just keep proving me wrong. And I, I kind of like the mix. I like the arrow. I think they're trending in the right direction. And I think this is a group that like, we have to remember the history of this program has been really bad from basketball perspective. Yeah. So it's really cool that TCU is, is relevant year after year after year. Like this just doesn't happen in TCU basketball and, and Jamie Dixon's a, a big reason why. Yeah. hundred percent. One more thing. Uh, when, you know, you have in the last two weeks of the season, you have conference tournament, we're talking like big picture, right? Like we're talking tournament preview. Are you at a point though, where you look at these teams and their profiles and you're like, this, it, this team is what it is. Like Kentucky. I'm just throwing an example. Like people are going to say like, here comes Kentucky. Like they're right. getting hot. Like don't let the defense, you know, yes. yeah, like <laughs> they're getting going, but we now have what? Like 25 games of sample, give or take 24. Are you at a point though, where like, I know like, big result here, like resume builder here, but like the actual team, are you at a point where it's like, eh, I, I I know what I know about this. Like, no, I'm ready. I know what I'm ready to see, or I know what I've seen. Yeah. I'm ready for the test, right? Like we've seen all we've, we've gone through all the semester. We're ready yeah. for the test. That's how I feel about Creighton. Like Creighton is one of those teams where I feel like I know what I'm going to get from them. They're awesome shot making. I love, like, I love the data. I love the no, th all threes and layups. And then defensively, I love that they take away shots at the rim. They take away threes and force you to hit mid range twos. I get that. That's <laughs> awesome. I love, I really do. I really do. But the problem with Creighton and the problem always with Creighton all year has been hot teams with high level athleticism who can really heat them up at times can give them issues. And so I, I think Creighton is one of those teams where I feel like I know the story with them. And honestly, I like it. I like what they do. I think they can make the final four, but I'm not sure that they have quite enough of that athletic pop to necessarily win the title. So I'm, I'm fascinated by their draw fascinated because I was going to say they're very, they're a very draw dependent team. Like huge. to me, like there's some teams that kind of throw them in there and let them just like, I, I believe that they could win some games or whatever. Like Creighton to me, if they draw like, I, I want to try and pull one up. Like if they draw like an athletic defense that could really like bother Iowa them. State. Iowa State. Iowa State could give them absolute hell in like a sweet 16 matchup. Yeah. Like teams that could really get up in them. 
Obviously, Houston would be a nightmare for them. Um, what about like New Mexico with all those guards that got really great juice? If New Mexico gets in the tournament and they're like a, a 10 and Creighton's a, you know, may, uh, let's say New TC, TCU, another example, a team that's that can pressure them. Absolutely. Also, like maybe get Kalkbrenner in foul trouble too with the way they get to the rim. Like that's not a fun matchup for them. Um, I mean, they played last year, but San Diego State, probably not a fun one again either. Like those are, to me, and I've done this on the pod as well, like Creighton to me, you said they're solvable, both like in a way that I know and I know who they can beat, but I also know who they can lose to. Absolutely. Yeah. And like, and their style of play keeps them involved in games and keeps them, I think, close enough in games with really great teams. But I think it also keeps kind of mediocre-ish team like St. John's. Mm-hmm can kind of stick in it with them a little bit because St. John's is the most athletic group at all. But if you like, that's fine against Creighton because they don't necessarily have that elite translatable, like that big bodied wing. And like, I don't think Arthur Kaluma is a great player or a great teammate, to be honest, but they could have used an Arthur Kaluma. This group could have, and, and it's just a, a big loss to have him go. To I, think they miss, I think they miss Nemhard also, to be honest with you. I think that's fair. Yeah, I think that's fair. I've kind of gone back and forth on it a little bit this year. You know, Nemhard, his jumper has kind of been inconsistent in and out. Ashworth starting to come along a little bit, but they're just different. You know, Ashworth is not a true point guard. Nemhard is way more of a true point guard. So it's hard to compare them when they do such different things well. So I think I agree with you, but it's, I think it's a little more nuanced than just a one for one. And I I said it before in the beginning, it was a one for one. And I I think I was wrong in the preseason. 100%. All right. Any uh, spots you're looking forward to this week on the card? Player props count as well. I know that seems to be uh, your uh, specialty, but any, any and all things are uh, considered here. I, well, I don't have any lines up yet, so I would love to have like 10 player props for you, but I don't have a ton of lines yet. But uh, the one I'm looking at, I think I love fading teams after huge wins. And so I'm probably going to be on Mississippi State tomorrow. At oh, home. yeah, you are. We're, yeah, we're going with the Bulldogs. Yeah, like that's a really good spot for me. Um, Pittsburgh's a team that I've been iffy on. Uh, this year, just because their their range of outcomes is so wide because they shoot so many threes. I think they're like yeah. 48% of their shots this year yeah. have been threes at times. So I, I think I'm going to be on Clemson as well, too. Um, both of those are tomorrow. The lines aren't out for them yet. Last I checked, maybe they are lately. But if I could get a Clemson minus five, I think I'd probably be on that one. And then Mississippi State at home. Those are the two that I really like. Yeah. Uh, for me, this is Wednesday, Tennessee. Kempom has it three. I imagine it will be shaded that way because uh, they Ken Palm, like they odds makers have started to shift pretty uh, aggressively. I think anything under five with Tennessee, honestly, I think that they set up really nicely to beat up on Auburn. I think Tennessee, uh, you know, that loss to AM maybe kind of shook the confidence of some people. Not me, not me, was not shaken. Uh, I still think that this team is, has the goods at home, especially we spoke about earlier in the show, Auburn home court merch. And I think Tennessee is set up for a, a big effort there, win by a few possessions. Well, and the other thing too with Tennessee is like, it, it, they got really challenged on the glass a couple of weeks ago and they've come back with great efforts on the glass the last few days and last few games that will have to stick against Auburn. And if you can rebound against Auburn, you can hold down the fort against that group. And uh, obviously Dalton connect having a game changer like that is a, is a big time piece. I'm not sure that I'm not sure that Auburn has a guy that can go toe to toe with Dalton connect on the, on the perimeter. 100%. Isaac, you're great. Appreciate you coming on, man. Plug your stuff. Where can people find your work? Uh, and yeah, please. Yeah, 247sports.com. That's where most of my stories are. And you can also follow me on Twitter, Isaac underscore Trotter. I, um, any and all basketball content is great. It's it's March. It's about it's almost March. It's the best time of the year. Yeah, absolutely. And follow me on Twitter at Reed Wallach, the bet stamp at RW33. We'll be back next week. Another uh, 
conference tournament preview in the mid-major ranks. Looking ahead to the rest of the regular season. And yeah, we'll talk to you soon. Best of luck with all your bets. Isaac, thanks again for coming on, man. Thanks for having me.